This is my daughter, Shannon Maria Gilbert. There's one here for every day that she's missing. What was she doing in a gated community, a hundred miles away from home in the middle of the night? My daughter didn't run away. She's missing. Her last contact with anyone was to 911. What happened? I'm just a driver. I wait in my car, and that's all I do. Honestly, who spends this much time looking for a missing hooker? While searching for a missing girl, one of our officers located four bodies. What's over there? Tell me right now, damn it! What did you find? Welcome to the Nomcast, the Netflix original movie podcast. I am your host, Andrew Morgan. You can follow the show at NomcastPod on Twitter and Instagram, or you can follow me at JokesOnDrew. All right, as promised from last episode, we chime in with a second review this week, uh, which is a bit of a bonus because this is a review of the new sex crime ripped from the headlines thriller Lost Girls. That I did on another podcast, the Mike, Mike, and Oscar podcast. Uh, we did that this past Friday, uh, and they released it on Saturday, I believe. I don't know. They they work very quickly. They're pretty awesome. Uh, we've done this before with them, where we review a film together and release it on both podcasts. I know we did that uh, with Marriage Story uh, during the Oscar season. That was pretty awesome. Uh, we did this in a way a lot of podcasts are being done these days over the internet. Uh, with a few people in different places quarantining themselves from each other and making the best of it. So if I sound a little different than usual, uh, it's because I was on my iPhone with headphones over Skype hiding from my wife and children in a time of this nation's greatest peril. So I hope you uh, you enjoy my sacrifice, everybody. But uh, in serious, though... Uh, this was a great time on an excellent movie podcast, Mike, Mike and Oscar, one of the best in the biz. So uh, I'm always glad to talk film with them, and I hope we get to do a few more in the future. I know we talk on this one about doing uh, the new Obama production company documentary Crip Camp, so I hope uh, maybe we get that one done. And we'll, maybe we'll do it this way again, where it's kind of simulcast uh, on both podcasts. Uh, those seem to work out really well. Uh, so thank you to those guys for having me on. Glad to share this with you guys at MM and Oscar on Twitter at Mike, Mike and Oscar on Instagram, subscribe to them immediately, wherever you get podcasts. And of course, subscribe, rate and review this podcast as well. The Nomcast, uh, while you are there as well. So without further ado, here it is your bonus review for the week. Lost girls with the mics from Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Give a listen. So let's look at what Netflix did this past weekend. And I'm, I'm going to be a little more critical of Netflix than I have been in a while, unfortunately, Andrew. Uh, <laughs> you may disown me at the end of all this. But we're basically going to attack on a review of Lost Girls in this particular episode. We're going to do a full OSP. I don't I don't think it merits it, to be honest with you. 
But uh, I, I do think it's a movie worth talking about for, for a spell here. And definitely as a test case for kind of what we just talked about in the last 20 minutes, what Netflix is doing. So I just wanted to get into some general thoughts. I mean, the, the plot premise of this is uh, Marie Gilbert's daughter disappears. Police in action drives her own investigation into the gated Long Island community where Shannon was last seen. Uh, her search brings attention to a dozen murdered sex workers. This is a true story, Andrew. This stars Amy Ryan, Thomason McKenzie, General thoughts on Lost Girls. Yeah, I think it's fine. It's probably, uh, you know, unfortunately, a lot of times when you hear uh, Buzz coming out of Sundance uh, and you hear anything kind of mediocre to down, you don't want to buy in. You want to try to go in with an open mind and try to hope for the best, Yeah. Uh, especially when obviously you're doing a Netflix only podcast like myself. Obviously, <laughs> I'd like to champion something uh, for once. Uh, but you know, it, it, uh, unfortunately kind of hit where the Metacritic scores and a lot of the, a lot of the buzz coming out of Sundance or lack thereof, I should say, uh, for this movie, it, it basically hits that mediocre area, like kind of, uh, a step, uh, a little step above doing, uh, you know, a, a really good SVU episode mm-hmm. <laughs> or, yeah. or, you know, or, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know if even somebody like a, a David Fincher or somebody else who can actually do mood and crime stuff that much better could save whatever was on the page. And Mike, it kind of starts like a David, like the most notable David Fincher, quote unquote, unsolved mystery, because you get that title card of an unsolved American mystery. That was the setup to the whole movie. I thought it had a good hook. But uh, you definitely had some watchability issues with it. Yeah, I mean, there's some technical stuff that suggests that there's there's stuff here worthwhile watching. Uh, the plot is, you know, I, I I was kind of upset with how how bored I ended up being by by this story, which, like you just said, is very intriguing. And we love Thomason McKenzie. We love Amy Ryan. Uh, the guy that <laughs> I don't have his name in front. I know Gabriel Byrne is here, but the guy that plays uh, Mayhem in all the Allstate commercials, it's great. Dean Winters. <laughs> yes, thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> I had it written down, but I didn't highlight it. So that's my fault. Sorry, Dean. Uh, but yeah, I was, I was just kind of, Mike, I know you and I had the same problem. We said we ended up starting and stopping this thing like 10 different times just because life was getting in the way today. And my biggest issue with that was how easy it was at the end of it to start and stop like that. And I found myself looking at my phone and looking at my laptop. I was just kind of let down by the whole experience. But uh, it's not, you know, the worst movie in the world. Uh, Again, I agree with Andrew. It's fine. Well, Andrew, I I started this movie at like... 1245 and then the president was speaking at three i turned it off i still had 25 minutes left because like mike said we both were just all right we have to do this we do that i'm reading one coronavirus article so i'm pausing it or whatever whatever's happening uh, how how was your watch of this were, were you interrupted as much as we were Listen, Mike. When you're uh, a professional like I am, uh, you you try to barrel through things, and and obviously when I'm working from home and also watching this movie, I am I am the best professional you could be. Uh, I'm a multitasker. <laughs> I can do all these things. It doesn't matter. Um, Renaissance man. Well, exactly. 
So, you know, yeah, obviously, well, you know, we're, we're basically in the simulation now, right? We're just doing what everybody else is doing where nobody's watching this movie straight through. Everybody's going, wait, what did, what happened? What's the update? How many are dead? Right. Uh, and we're not talking about uh, murdered sex workers. So, you know, uh, yeah, we're going to, we're, we're going to unfortunately be distracted right now, but uh, this movie could have held our attention. So it's a little bit of a, a mixed bag. I thought the uh, characters were pretty underdeveloped somehow. And they have true, they have real people here, which makes you wonder if they're afraid to uh, really dive into their psyches because they're portraying real people on the edge of a tragedy, Mike. Uh, but I thought Amy Ryan might as well spit the F word, like F you, before she delivered every single line of dialogue in this movie. What did you think of the characters? Could you relate to them at all? If I ever see Thomas and McKenzie be so minimalized in a movie again after I know yeah. what she's capable of doing, I'm, I'm, I have to stop watching halfway through. I thought she was such... A, a role character. Maybe it's because she we're so used to seeing her play these strong, overly mature for her age, feministic, empowering roles. But I, I was so disappointed with the way she was handled. She was kind of cast as the sheepish role character, and I just didn't buy her in it because I'm used to seeing her just shine through. But yeah, I mean, you could say that about Thomas and Mackenzie. I thought you could say the exact same thing you just said about Amy Ryan's character, which I guess, you know, having to play a mother under those circumstances when you're battling, you know, coming to terms, I guess, with your own past demons at the same time dealing with the current ones. Yeah, you're going to be a mixture of always overly aggravated and always pissed off at the world, especially yourself. So I, I guess I forgive that a little more, but yeah, for such, again, for such an intriguing concept and story behind it, you would think that the characters would be more developed and more fleshed out, especially the relationships between the mother, Amy Ryan's character, and her daughter, who is still there, Thomas and Mackenzie. And we only got blips and, and you know, not much of anything from it, I thought. Yeah, I had, uh, I had like a uh, screenwriting checklist working in my brain for this movie where it's like, all right, here's exposition. The exposition is just you know, being more and more developed and they're giving you another piece and giving you another piece about the Amy Ryan character in particular. And all of it was just like, all right, she's kind of an abrasive character, right? Yeah. And then they threw in one thing at the end, Andrew, where it's like, oh, guess what? But this, she's also a, a, a victim of this horrible circumstance. I just thought they criminally underdeveloped like the character of Lola Kirk. Uh, did, did you have this, uh, this same thought, Andrew? Or, or how did you think they handled the ensemble? I mean, I did. I, I thought a lot of people were very underdeveloped. Uh, I thought some people who had a lot of crucial information in this movie that kind of saved the day were very weirdly played. Uh, the the uh, guy from Goodfellas and Buffalo 66, uh, Kevin Corrigan, he kind of like drops knowledge that kind of breaks the case yeah. in here. And yeah. and he's like, ah, he's just a paranoid schizophrenic. Don't worry about that know? guy. That guy don't know anything. Right. <laughs> and which is a, a fair assessment, obviously, from the cops who are trying to kind of be evasive. But in the grand scheme of things, He's kind of the guy who breaks the movie, breaks the case. Yeah. So it's kind of funny how they just sideline him and treat him like nothing after a while. Also, uh, I know uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, just even being around that guy was uncomfortable, but yeah. understandably so. You got to do something with him. Uh, but yeah, no, I agree. Everything you were saying, you know, Amy Ryan's kind of one note. Uh, Thomas and McKenzie, who even in a so so film, uh, like the King, 
which just came out from Netflix. She was a standout uh, in that as well, in terms of like mood and power and poise. Uh, She's always been great. Uh, And there's a lot of very just confusing characters like Gabriel Burns motivation or even where his job goes gabriel Uh, burns motivation when he had that like i really got to do the right thing at the retirement party surrounded by strippers i don't think that's where most people get their professional epiphany personally it's very true (laughs) he really was the worst cop in america there it's just the whole movie he was and usually that you know brings about opportunities for like an amateur sleuth film and and this is truly a heroic story of a real life amateur sleuth and a a mother of a of a of a murder victim who you know spurred the next phase of the investigation if we're we're to believe the movie but to me you know even though the movie heated up a few times uh in that regard to me the kind of the sleuthing the mystery of it all it didn't work that well what did the mystery do for you mike agree it was kind of especially the exposition and setting the you know this is the characters this is the mystery that we're going to be following up on it i thought that it was so choppy and so sped up and the pacing of the movie just never really caught up to the story it was trying to tell that it kind of let me take myself out of it at times because again i keep going back to this like objectively speaking this story where you have the amateur sleuth mother who has her own sordid past and she has a daughter she's still dealing with or two and she's she's chasing basically what happened to her missing daughter in the midst of all these murders that are happening around it. And is she a victim? Is she just lost? Will she show up? Objectively speaking, there's plenty of meat on that bone to go in a variety of ways. And it just, almost every aspect of the storytelling of this portrayed by the characters, portrayed by the script, whatever, just kind of fell flat to just kind of, here it is. It's again, a glorified episode of law and order is kind of, I think the perfect encapsulation of what's on uh, screen here. And I would agree with you, except for the fact, and maybe the one caveat is, you and I did have a disjointed watch. So I'm wondering, Andrew, you seem to watch it continuously, professionally. You are a dad of several young children. (laughs) Michael and I are fathers of none, which could be a name for a podcast as well. Were you able to get hooked into the mystery of the film more than Mike and I? By the way, father of none sounds like the perfect follow-up to master of none. Uh, now that we can, <laughs> whether Aziz is still canceled or not, I have no idea. Well, we got to check on that. In more ways than one. <laughs> oh, God. No, I, I, I found, I, I was as taken out at, at points as you guys were in terms of the mystery, in terms of the story. And I got to say, uh, especially the way the, the movie moves, and the pacing and certain elements that they brought in, like the news footage and, and reporting and all those type of things. I think what we're dealing with here and we are dealing with, but I think part of the elements of why this comes about is the, the connection of the people who are at the helm here. I mean, Liz Garbus is basically a documentarian. So mm-hmm. it, the whole time I was watching this, I was like, a, they're kind of using a lot of tricks and elements to that, you know, pique people's interest in a documentary to keep the line moving and to kind of bring people into the reality that was there. Uh, but I don't think it works in a, you know, format such as like an actual movie this way. Uh, I don't think that works. And then also the writer, Michael Rowey, he did the uh, Ted Bundy film that came out uh, recently for Netflix Extremely as well. Wicked, yeah. Right, extremely wicked. And, you know, it that movie is actually 
slightly better than this one, but not by much. But you can tell kind of the the true crime uh, elements that he likes, but doesn't fully know how to to kind of put it into the format that we're accustomed to uh, to sell all the information and also to create character. It was mostly just how to replicate what was happening at the time versus getting to the heart and the personality of the case. Co-sign that. And I think, uh, I think I'm going to get into some best scenes that I think are very strong in spoilers. When we get into those in a few minutes, Mike, uh, the movie did heat up for me, but I definitely, uh, I definitely, I think I'm in a don't watch zone and that's pretty rare for me. As you know, Mike, uh, where, where do you sit on this one? Yeah. Are you don't watch at all? Or, I mean, do you take the the quarantine into account with this? So you're not even going to put this on in a quarantine? (laughs) I, like I wish I didn't watch it. I yeah. unfortunately, like I, I don't think it's that good. I it just made me like extra negative, you know, going into the news of the the President Trump press conference and out of that. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only bright spot is at least it gives you something new to be depressed about if you want. Talking about you know all these horribly <laughs> slaughtered girls as opposed to the coronavirus. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, <laughs> you don't. I, you... It's so tough to say there's something new and fascinating and there's so much talent attached to this behind and in front of the camera. It's tough to say don't watch it, but it, yeah, we talked about this like, oh, it could be an Oscars movie. Something of this might pop and there's just no way. So I would I would kind of agree with you there, Mike. I, you can get away with not seeing this, I think. And Andrew, do I, would you recommend this movie for some people in some circumstances? Watch or don't watch for you? I mean, if you're a true crime junkie, maybe... You know, you get into something like this, but it's kind of almost, you know, Lifetime movie-esque we're talking here. So, I mean, you'd have to be into a very specific type of movie to even try to latch on here. Because the message is at least good, and there's some elements that work, but not a lot. Not enough for me to outwardly recommend it to people, which is sad because now we're, uh, you know, in the middle of March almost. And I think the best movie I've seen from an original Netflix thus far is maybe Horse Girl. And that's not saying much at all. Interesting. And uh, you guys did a great uh, episode on that, though, I I must say. Thank you. I I was going to ask you that that next question there. I mean, well, you were transitioning for me, though, Andrew, because you were uh, you were already starting to recommend stuff that's currently on Netflix. So what are some alternatives? I guess it doesn't have to be from this year. Do you have anything that you would say Netflix is your go to now for this during a quarantine? I mean, listen, they've you know, they've only really been a studio active for you know three four years now so obviously the in terms of originals the library isn't super stocked but i would say obviously you guys know because you dealt with it a lot on your own show that 2019 uh they have a ton of great films from there and a lot of them have Mm -hmm. been highlighted on your show uh obviously the the irishman's marriage stories dolomites of the world you know are going to get uh talked a bunch uh i will keep desperately trying to get people to watch high flying bird more than anything else. Uh, I think I'm, I've recommended, uh, <laughs> off of Netflix than anything. Cause, uh, Soderbergh is God. And, uh, he, uh, he did a great job obviously. And it's better than the laundromat, which is also there, uh, from Soderbergh too. So that to me, uh, are, are kind of your crown jewels. I also, because I hated the last thing he wanted so much, but thank goodness, <laughs> 
it got me to watch and rewatch uh, Mudbound, which is a terrific film that I hope D. Reese gets back to that form versus whatever the last thing he wanted was trying to be. What about for the length of this quarantine? Let's God willing say it only goes like a month or two for now. Uh, <laughs> is there anything coming up at the end of March, April that you got your eye on that kind of speaks to you more than anything with uh, as far as what Netflix has in store? I mean, to be honest, uh, we did kind of touch on it earlier. Uh, I am excited to watch the platform because I've seen the trailer and it looks bananas. (laughs) You know, it's basically it's a vertical prison trying to pull off some kind of horror film socialism, Uh, you know, trying to feed people at the top uh, and not worrying about the people at the bottom and, you know, mass suicides and everything else. It's it's got all the markings of uh, a midnight madness, crazy film that uh you know at least will hold my attention uh and maybe maybe make me think less that the world is falling apart you know maybe it's (laughs) maybe it's just fiction maybe we could think that for one minute give you one of those well at least we're not there yet right Right. exactly yeah (laughs) so you got that um i i know mike and and i brought up uh tiger tail as like Mm -hmm. kind of this you can kind of see it where maybe it'll be a surprising Oscar sleeper kind of a situation for them. Like if anything's going to pop out of Netflix, I don't love the fact that they put it at this time of year. If that's the case, obviously you guys know that, but it could just be like you said, motivation for moving stuff up to if people are going to have the eyeballs and that's, you know, half the game and that comes out in early April. So, you know, maybe that could be helpful as well. Uh, and hopefully the stuff at the end of April that I'm uh, very interested in, like the Willoughby's and Extraction, uh, hopefully we're not sitting inside uh, just <laughs> praying uh, to see daylight again. Um, but, you know, if that's the case, eh, at least they'll have a couple of uh, cool flicks to uh, check out at the end as well. Well, I don't know which one of us disparaged the platform earlier. Whoever it was was an idiot. Uh, but uh, no, I'm glad to hear all that, and I'm glad to hear uh, of the upcoming slate. And, and we had a blast reviewing that. But uh, let's let's do a few minutes of spoilers on this one. So we'll put in a little bit of a dance warning now. Spoilers ahead. This is a spoiler warning. Spoilers. So I was going to try and set up the spoiler section here because I'm trying to play host this episode, but I am woefully ill-prepared to do so. Mike, can you do you like your half a spiel or whatever it is that you talk really fast, fast like an auctioneer? <laughs> I can't even do it now trying to set you up. Yeah, we're calling in the lefty from the bullpen for this. All right, this is the spoiler section for Final Girls on Netflix. Uh, Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Final Girls. Final Girls? I was expecting Patrick Swayze to be in this, but no, he doesn't make an appearance. So Final Girls on Netflix, brought to you by Mike, Mike, Lost Girls, Lost Girls. That Lost Girls, that's, what I, that's the Swayze joke I was trying to make. Okay, let's try that again. This is the spoiler section for Lost Girls. So you set me up too much, Mike. I'm 
Cracking Under Pressure, brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar with Andrew of the Nomcast joining us for this. Uh, if you have not seen this movie yet, this is where you want to hit pause. You can't go very far because you're under quarantine, so just turn to your TV, hit play, watch the movie. We'll be here waiting for you when you come back. If you've seen the movie already, if you have no interest in seeing the movie, or if we've hyped up the spoiler section for you that you can't go another minute without hearing our thoughts on it, this is where you want to be. All spoilers for Lost Girls, no Patrick Swayze. Mike, let's get into it. Yeah, I, I have a best here, and it starts at the beginning of the movie, and it works its way through kind of the middle. And it's this mystery of why this girl, Shannon, runs away from her driver. That's really never answered in the film that I could tell. I don't know if, Andrew, you thought they did give an answer. What did you think of the mysteries of the film? Do you have any best surrounding the mystery? No, because a lot of a lot of it, they were kind of pointing to uh, stuff that the the doctor was doing. Uh, They're the creepy, which I, I can also probably put in uh, best as well in terms of like performances. Okay. Uh, I th- I thought uh, the the main suspect in this case uh, probably was one of the the better actors, Reed Reed Bernie, excuse me, uh, who played Doctor Peter Hackett, because um, he creeped the hell out of me. Yeah. Uh, in, in spots and obviously kind of played that classic kind of serial killer. Some of the stuff that you would wear, you know, always has the answer, that outward bright personality, kind of almost in a Bundy-esque type thought that was like a people pleaser, a kind of man amongst the people, and then quietly was, you know, the worst person in the world. Um, you know, I thought he did really well with that. And I thought a lot of the stuff they were saying about why she ran away or why she was kind of like stumbling or falling or whatever, you know, they were kind of listing the drugs. I thought it was going to come up that because he's a doctor, he had drugged her or mm-hmm. any of those things. Then the recap completely throws that away. So I, it went nowhere to me. So I honestly have no idea. It did go nowhere, but there was a good scene in there where she just like came upon Dr. Richard Slasher or whatever his name was. It sounded very, <laughs> nefarious uh mike do you have any best scenes surrounding the mystery of it or did the plot kind of fall flat for you as yeah, well yeah I, I got a couple things i i really liked when she goes to uh that community house or whether it was his house i wasn't really clear uh but she you know asked for the security tapes to begin with and he sits her down i think it was their second meeting amy ryan's looking around the room and she sees you know his medical tools are laid out on the table she sees the plastic gloves and like of course these are just things that a doctor would have but at the same time the movie had done a good enough job making him the prime suspect that you know in her mind she's thinking is this what he used to murder my daughter if she's not alive anymore blah 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 I thought that was good I really like some technical aspects of this movie too where you know when we see the daughter running away when Shannon's running away at the very first scene of the movie I thought that was shot really well I like the cinematography of that and I like the callback to it when Amy Ryan was doing the exact same uh, image later on in the movie during the reveal when she when they actually find the daughter uh, in, in the remains of the daughter anyway Anyway, so I like that kind of call and response part of it, too. And I, I thought there was some good blocking alongside of it. So, yeah, like I said, not the worst movie in the world. There's definitely highlights to be had. Well, the big highlight for me was how for for the whole film, they're keeping the, you know, crime scenes at arm's length. Like we're not being shown the crime scenes and they're trying to have these big emotional blowouts between the mother and the daughter as well. And those two threads kind of come together in that final scene where you see the skeleton 
of this girl, Shannon, and it's lying down. And to me, that was a heart-wrenching, heartbreaking scene. The mother says, we're going to take you home. Like, I was getting emotional in that scene. Yeah, they were, you know, escorted there by the worst cop out of uh, in America, Gabriel <laughs> Byrne. But I, they, were, they were going for some big emotions in this movie, Andrew. Uh, I'm wondering if any of those hit with you. Did that last scene work, like I said, or, or what did you think? That one particular did not. Um, and in fact, I'm a terrible human being and obviously a comedian. <laughs> so I was so checked out and bored by that point that I believe I said to myself, uh, I was hoping because the next scene they cut to like the, the her and her kids in the car that I was hoping it was going to be like a weekend at Bernie's thing where they hold up the skeleton oh. sitting <laughs> propped up in the back seat to take physically the skeleton home. Um, yeah, I had... So the- <laughs> I had nothing else. <laughs> so the movie lost you by then, and you watched it continuously. I wonder if the fragmented watch actually helped me. And I don't know if, Mike, if you liked that scene or not, but it helped me because I just watched the president speak for about an hour, and then I finally turned him off, and then I, and I watched that last scene. I was like, holy shit, this is like actually emotional all of a sudden. While I didn't have any lust for Weekend at Burning, though I probably <laughs> should have because that's genius. Uh, yeah, I, I'm in the middle of both of you. I, I was kind of checked out at that point, but I could see why it's very emotionally gripping. I was just kind of like, oh, uh, yeah, I mean, at least the character has a happy ending, so that's good. I w- didn't really feel uh, that invested of it because of what the film had done up to that point. I would say the one thing that did grip me, though, if I want to be positive instead of morbidly weird... Um, <laughs> I think the end recap actually got to me more. That was the best part of the movie. It was the best part of the movie. And in fact, I, I sent a message to, to Mike earlier saying that it was kind of felt like in an alternate reality, the movie actually starts almost where it ends and then mm-hmm. continues as a woman fighting for her kids and then ultimately is undone by her kid, <laughs> uh, which, you know is painful and, and, and hard, but it's actually more probably emotionally invest. Like I have more of an emotional investment in that. Cause I think one of the things that they try to do here in the movie, uh, is dealing with mental illness. And I think they just do such a cursory version of it that, you know, especially for that thing to be as part of a recap versus something that's maybe played more in the movie. I understand where it could be a little possibly distracting but they do go into it where it's like oh look you know that you have another daughter uh who has mental illness are you gonna abandon her too i thought that uh what even though that scene gets botched horribly uh the i thought the message behind it uh was impactful that she made mistakes and that she could continue to do this and that part of the mission of this is trying to right her wrongs as much as just trying to be motherly like you guys, I feel a little bit guilty in saying the same thing. Like the end story about the mother and the other daughter might be the best story involved in this film. And you probably should have told that one. Uh, look, I just saw, I just reviewed System Crasher, which is also on Netflix, which was up for, for Oscar consideration in the international film category. That's a much better movie about that subject, I would guess. But, uh, you know, they, they uh, maybe it's a missed opportunity. Andrew, Mike, do you guys, I, do either one of you have any more bests that we didn't get to yet? I do not. So if Mike Jesse wants to uh, jump in, uh, I, I don't have anything. The only other big one I had 
was, and it was the time I was most emotionally invested to anything these characters were doing, was the first time uh, Amy Ryan's character getting the update via the news, and they hear her daughter referred to as just this prostitute for the first time, and there was no basis for that, and it just kind of is like, wow, imagine if you're going through the pain of this woman, and this struggle that she's going through, and then that's how your, your local news callously refers to your daughter, even though, in all the stigma that comes with being labeled as just a prostitute, uh, especially up until like, I mean, it still happens, obviously, but we're at least getting more progressive about it in society uh, with each day we pass, even though we're not nearly where we need to be. Uh, that kind of got to me. I was like, oh, that's shitty. And, and it kind of like a, it was a bit of a wake up call. So I think that, uh, you know, anytime a movie makes you feel and makes you kind of exclaim, I'm always in favor of that. So I put that down as the best. Well, the movie did make me feel it made, made me feel a lot of anger, I would say. And <laughs> I guess we can get into worse here. The The worst part of the movie for me that got me very, very pissed off was Dr. Richard Slasher, uh, <laughs> Peter Hackett, whatever, Dick, <laughs> Dick Cutter. <laughs> Look, he is a preposterous movie character. Is he a real person in real life? And they took his quotes from, you know, obviously it's probably not his real name, but they're trying to point the finger at this guy, right, as the number one suspect. And I have multiple of my worst scenes involving this dude because he is either like the most obvious red herring in history or he is like a character that just makes no sense. Because if he's a character that makes no sense and he actually killed them, then why would he be flaunting to this degree with the cops, with everybody being this overtly suspicious? His interaction with Gabriel Byrne was preposterous. Yes. <laughs> it was preposterous. When he was like, oh, I didn't show them the surveillance tape, but why didn't they ask? Tee-hee, finger in the front of my lips. <laughs> and then he's like, I couldn't watch it because that would be tampering with evidence. Like, not only does that not make any legal sense, but immediately you would be put in handcuff and brought down to the station if you responded like that. So, uh, yeah, that, I'm, I'm with you at that point. That I mean, that one interaction I put down is definitely a worst of mine as well. That scene is pretty awful, uh, I will say that. But the w reason for me why it's also very awful is that they kind of been playing this subplot kind of that, and, and I put this actually is probably one of my worst too, was, you know, the cops... The, the definition of, like, are they doing a cover-up? Are yeah. they involved with this guy? I mean, obviously they are in some, uh, obviously with the pictures that they laid out and the, and the Benevolent Society and having uh, parties up at his place or, uh, you know, I thought that was almost more intriguing, almost in, like, a true detective sense. Like, you know, kind of this underbelly of, like, you know, trying to, trying to you know, expose... Uh, this link to a awful, you know, murderer right. that the cops have. I think that's way more compelling. Um, that what that itch wasn't scratched for me whatsoever. And obviously, to put these two in the same room and to kind of not be on the same page with that, or kind of tip your hands to anything with that, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. It kind of took me out of something that was even just a hint of uh, intriguing in this movie. 
Well, I was referring to uh, David Fincher's Zodiac earlier in the episode because I think that that movie dealt with an unsolved mystery in the perfect way. Mike, right? this I mean, was I clearly he... this was clearly trying to mimic that and what that movie did with its main suspect. Clearly, I thought, and I just thought it fell flat. And, and yeah, this guy is a cartoon character because <laughs> yes. if he is the killer, then he's mo- most obviously the killer. And if he's not the killer, then he's a silly, nonsense, red herring person, which is like, I don't get what they're trying to do even, but I don't care because he's just a ridiculous character. So, all right, that's where I landed on uh, Dr. Peter Hackett. Uh, I think you guys are with me there. Uh, Terrible, terrible screen name uh, for, for his character as well. All right. I just so keep emotional. thinking of Buddy Wackett, the Chris Farley delivery there. Right. <laughs> but the emotional scenes that Amy Ryan and Thomason McKenzie are trying to have on several occasions are so awkward. Did you guys, Andrew, did you feel the same way? I mean, I'd never seen Thomason McKenzie just kind of out of her element this much before. No, and and you had put in uh, the the notes, and I totally had agreed that the the scene where she's like kind of playing it like I'm here. Why don't you love me instead of chasing after, you know, your potentially dead daughter? Um, you know, obviously they tried to play that up to that point, like kind of, you know, it's always kind of been holding a candle to the child that you, your first child that you made mistakes, you know, uh, and obviously is also your, your financial backer. Um, yeah. you know, so, um, and never asking for the money. So this woman is very flawed, um, you know, and obviously they, they play that up at points, but ultimately she's supposed to be this hero. So it's coming out of both ends on this story. I don't know, uh, where they were trying to go with it, but yeah, that one scene just makes me cringe and, and she's way too good of an actress, Thomas and McKenzie to, to have me look at her and, uh, and look away. I just couldn't look her in the face yeah. while she was doing it. I just, it had no punch, and it was uh, just cringeworthy. Mike, how emotional are you that the emotional scenes didn't work? I'm just upset. I mean, Thompson McKenzie, I've never seen her even in a... I mean, she's been an asset to every movie she's been in because she's so beyond her years as an actress, and... she was so sidelined and it it bleeds into the pacing problem I had when they're confronting the boyfriend at the very beginning, there's supposed to be this tension that he's supposed to come off as intimidating and threatening. And just in my mind, I was already like Thomas and McKenzie could kick that dude's ass. Like why is is Amy (laughs) Ryan covering for her? So it's like, there's just a lot of things. And I know that's my personal bias, but there was a lot of things about that relationship and it was supposed to be so concentrated and so, so much tension that just, it just didn't work for me at all. And I think a lot of it is due in part because this script insisted on just having this Thomas and McKenzie daughter sister character be so pacified. And speaking of passive writing, you know, I mean, just overall, if you end a movie with a speech, you're basically just, you're not showing you're telling and it's just a, just a, just right in the face of the audience. And to me, it's passive screenwriting. So you have passive characters and passive screenwriting. Oh, my God. <laughs> Andrew, do you have any more worse before I, I go on a bit of a rant about ending movies with speeches? <laughs> yeah, no, it's very it's very weak writing. And I feel like, uh, you know, we kind of touched on earlier the same screenwriter is extremely wicked 
uh, shockingly evil and vile. Uh, you know, it kind of lost its way at the end too, and kind of just made this general summation of like, ah, things are bad, but this person's good. You know, kind of just an aw shuck shrug to, you know, this serial killer story that you're following, <laughs> um, which is pathetic. Um, so no, I, I'm not a fan. Um, they might as well have done a musical number. I don't know what would have worked, but, uh, <laughs> when you're recap with, you know, text and, and stories beyond the story you're telling is more impactful and compelling. It's not good. I tell you, if they ended this movie with a combination of weekend at Bernie's and a musical, I would have been a better fan of it. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little hello, my baby, hello, yeah. my honey, uh, with a skeleton. Let's do it. Why don't they make Weekend at Birdies into a musical? Isn't that a great idea? I, I'd be yeah. down for that. If they can do Evil Dead and all the, and Silence of the Lambs as musicals, as off-Broadway things in New York, absolutely Weekend at Bernie should. All right, so obviously the speech at the end of the film did not get me away from this goofy-ass the tangent right now about Weekend at Bernie's being a musical because speeches at the end of the films are not effective uh, unless it's like the King's speech and the whole movie is about speech giving. It's the subject of the film. But even in A Beautiful Mind, I thought it was awful that they gave a speech at the end of the film. And, and here you just got this big, let's lay out all the themes in case you forget. This is why this movie is important. Maybe that works in a documentary because you, you're, you're giving voice to the actual subject of the film. But here it's just like aggravating and they don't have a resolution either. So it's just ridiculous to me. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into final grades, final thoughts here. I'm going to actually go to C minus on this one. And I do want to ask Andrew a question about if Netflix has got to be careful with movies like this, especially when, you know, all of a sudden they get a prime time. But Mike, what's your grade first? I'm close. I, I, I guess I'm a little higher. We're starting a trend now where you're, actually starting to go lower than me on some of these. I, I was like a 75 C 74, 75, that range. Uh, just a, you know, it's a movie that exists. That's a C. <laughs> well, movies that just exist, Andrew, probably shouldn't be in this feature spot. Now that they didn't know it was going to be a featured spot for Netflix, but I'm a little upset with Netflix for not having a good movie out this particular week and not moving something up to this particular week. What do you think about overall? Do you think a lot of people are going to watch this Netflix original movie and, and are going to think poorly on the brand at large? Or do you think there's obviously, and I, I'm just being an idiot here, there's obviously enough credibility already built up? I mean, you know, obviously maybe people don't have as discerning tastes as the three of us. But, you know, it's, <laughs> it is, they, they did what, a, unfortunately, the standard studios do where they, they toss a lot of their garbage in the beginning part of the year when people are more distracted or watching other things that unfortunately a lot of those things got canceled. Uh, so they're going to be coming more front and center than they'd probably like. Uh, and, and shame on Netflix for not having, uh, using their reach to know more about an impending pan, uh, pandemic coming along. Uh, that's, that's on them. So that's a complete misstep on their part, but they, uh, there, I can see maybe that they're starting to move the chess pieces that you know to to move things forward. I know a lot of people are making more moves in movies that are not their own. Uh, I mean, all of a sudden, you know, Netflix. A lot of times, you're like, "Wait, where are all like the the big blockbusters or the big award winning movies? Where are they?" And then all of a sudden, 
you know, a pandemic happens and hey, they have good fellas here now and they have there will be blood and they have all these like big time award winning films. I'm like, all right. Apparently they they stocked up the catalog. They went back and uh, this is their version of, uh, you know, stockpiling, you know, eight rolls of toilet paper or whatever. Uh, <laughs> like most people are doing these days they are selling hand sanitizer for $700. This is uh, the Netflix version of that where they're just trying to give as many options to you as possible. So you don't leave them. I'm with you on that. And I, I, I don't know what it's called in the business or technique wise radio technique, but I tried to set you up so that you can smash me down there. I, I'm not worried either. Netflix is as essential to me as it as it's ever been. That's why we love having you uh, on MMO, Andrew. So thank you again for doing this. I'm already rewatching the crown, Michael. We're going to review that on MMOW, but uh, I, I, I do thank you, pal. Uh, you're finally a proper guest on MMO. You did a great job. I appreciate it. Hopefully uh, next time, better movie. Uh, we'll work on that. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. But they got a few things. And one thing we didn't mention, which may be a MMOW thing for you guys, Crip Camp coming yes. up uh, in a week and a half as well, uh, which is the Obama documentary team. So hopefully good things. That got huge buzz out of Sundance. Yes, knock on wood that we're all healthy enough to uh, record that together. Uh, that would be awesome. I wouldn't hold my breath. (laughs) Nobody should. (laughs) At least two of us will be able to record it together, together, right? (laughs) That's the hope. That's the hope. Schmike Schmike one, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. All right, cut all of that, but we'll (laughs) see you guys later. (laughs) 